My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Ben Taylor, co-founder of British knitwear brand Country of Origin. Ben and I discuss the hustle of a new company and how he went from knitting sweaters by hand in London to opening their own knitwear factory in five years. We also discuss how Country of Origin is working to redefine the relationship between manufacturing and brand and pushing the industry with more ethical practices. Well, Mr. Ben Taylor, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm honored. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of your stuff. I feel like, uh, you know, there's a long line of very uh, distinguished guests and I'm possibly not one of them. No. <laughs> See, everyone says that. And it, like, on one, you know, on one hand, I'm like kind of flattered, but at the same time, it's like everyone's the same. You know, everyone's trying to make stuff and do stuff. And, That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, thank you for having me on it. And, uh, you know, it's a, it is an honor. I have, well, thank you. It, it was, it's funny because a lot of times, if it's someone that I don't know like that well yet, We'll like maybe chat for like 10 or some odd minutes. Yeah. But luckily you and I, we got, we were chatting about a ton of stuff before we were recording. Yeah, we've put the world to rights. So. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we talked about everything. <laughs> to like kind of like give like a brief introduction of you. Like I first discovered you not really as a person or a designer or anything, but I was just really, really in love with you, what you were creating. So, you know, the country of origin, your knitwear. I mean, I'm kind of... I don't even know if this is a correct jargon or whatever, but like, I'm like one of those people where it's like, I'm all about dressing for winter. Like I love knitwear. I love sweaters, jumpers, yeah. you know, I think everyone is, Yeah, I, I think everyone is, it just wants to dress for the winter. Even I hate, I, I, I don't like the summer. Yeah. It's awful because you, I, you have to dress like a child. <laughs> Wait, Short, what do you mean? Dress like a child? Shorts and t-shirt. I just feel like a, Oh yeah, like a, a little small, kid. A small boy. <laughs> in the winter, you can look quite impressive. Yeah, this and is also true. it's just it's a lot more flattering on the, you know. Yeah. You don't have to be particularly. And so I saw. I mean, I think you had like the burrow type, um, the Japanese burrow type. Yeah, sweater. the patchwork sweaters. Yeah. 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 And I was like, "What the heck?" And like, I'm... <laughs> in a good way. No, yeah, well, of course. I mean, I, I bought it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so sick!" Like, I got to get this. You know, it's funny because a lot of times, and I'm just speaking for myself, you'll see something and you think you're the first one that discovered it. Yeah. And like, no, you're totally wrong. It's like, oh, all these people know about you in Japan and you're big here. And a friend of mine's like, yeah, dude, I know about that stuff. Like, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so like, I, you know, here I am thinking I just discovered like a Radiohead type thing. And everyone's like, no, man, I, I already know. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm happy with the Radiohead. <laughs> yeah. um, I think... We, you know, we are quite, we're not particularly well known at this juncture because we've spent the past few years actually manufacturing the knitwear in-house. So we've not really had time to kind of push it out in a big way in terms of marketing and all this, you know, um, and we're finally getting the opportunity to do that now and more people are finding out about us, which is great. What do you mean you're manufacturing in-house? So for the past however many years... Um, we have had two knitting machines in a railway arch in South London and we've made everything. I've basically been knitting everything by hand myself. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a terrible, a terrible idea. Um, we don't do it anymore, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll get to that. But it, I mean, we, so we, uh, we bought two industrial knitting machines. Um, Who's gonna, we? 
uh, me and my partner Alice, who okay. is my business partner and also everything else partner. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, so we basically we we bought two industrial knitting machines, okay, stuck them in a railway arch, and thought we can we can just do our own production because we're very kind of. Our knitwear is is all kind of hand linked and and uh, it's all hand finished basically. It's very like a, it's very uh, it's very crafted product, and we've always been very reticent to outsource that to someone else because factories just they never do the job that we we want them to do. You know they don't care about the products as much as we do. So we were like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just make it ourselves with with not a huge amount of expertise at, at the beginning, which was a bit of a hold, hold on for a second. So, because here's the thing that I'm like really caught off guard by. I, I swear to God, I didn't even know this. Like, I do not know. I, I don't know. I just figured you outsource s- like every other sane person. Yeah, I just band. figured, you know, you're designer, you're outsourcing, which is still fine. But yeah. you're actually making these. Yes. Well, so and now we we have our own factory in the Midlands. So uh, that's a pretty quick jump. It, it was. A, it was a quick jump. So when did we start? Yeah, I was going to say, well, let's, let's jump back further. Where are you from? Initially, I am from a suburb of Manchester. Okay, um, but I'm—I mean, people wouldn't even probably be able to tell that anymore. I've been living in down south for me- too many years. Yeah. Um, but so we basically we me and Alice, my partner, we met in in Brighton. Um, it's cool. Have you been to Brighton? Yeah, I have. It's like a seaside. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's a nice seaside town. It's got a very like independent vibe, yeah. and everyone kind of. Because there are very few jobs there. Most people <laughs> tend to start up their own thing. So once we came out of university, Alice was a, a knitwear student. She, she studied knitwear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we both had like a big passion for menswear. So we decided... Were you both in school? I w- no, we, did, we went at school at the same time. So I, I had graduated. Okay. I, I studied film. Oh. And then did like... I did an intern for Fox Searchlight in LA, which was really fun. I just read scripts. That was great. And then I worked for Harvey Weinstein. Wait. You might need to cut this bit out. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. Are you kidding? No. Yeah. In his London office in Soho. And I I, I lasted three months. (laughs) Oh, wow. I lasted three months and I was like, I don't think film industry is for me. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So we were at a junction where like most art students i guess when they graduate from uni and they've like tried a few things they're like oh god what am i what are we going to do with our our lives and i don't know for some reason we felt like a real pressure to kind of do something um and i we always went to start up our own kind of business um and we'd always talked about it so we just thought let's let's just do it um and obviously we both had like a huge passion for knitwear um and so we did, we tried a bunch of things. Like we were so wet behind the ears. I was like 23, maybe 22. Okay. And Alice was 23, 24. Right. So we were super young. We never run a business. We never really, you know, worked for anyone. Right. In, in, in a, that kind of business sense. Um, so we had no idea how to run a, a, a clothing company. Uh, so you just knew that you were into it and that you wanted to make something. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just youthful kind of, arrogance that you think you can do something and you, you think it's going to be easy and like a no it's going to be really easy and we'll just kind of we won't have a boss and it'll be great <laughs> right <laughs> that was the level of naive, naivety uh, 
but we did, we had a vision and Alice Alice kind of was always designing so she kind of designed this collection and Alice kind of designed in a in a different way to how you how one usually designs so we had this tiny flat in Brighton and she had a knitting machine at the kind of at the end of the our, our postage stamp of a room okay um, and she would actually just like make garments on this machine and then that would be like a prototype of of the collection right so we were like, great, well, we've kind of got these prototypes and people really like them. So what's the next step? Oh, well, I have to find a manufacturer. Um, so this was back maybe in like 2013. Okay. Um, and for anyone that's you know knows anything about kind of manufacturing is that it's not easy to find a manufacturer. Yeah. And we wanted it manufactured in a certain way um, so that it was hand-linked than kind of the traditional methods of, of knitwear manufacture. Um, well, hold on, let's pause on that. Could yeah. you explain what hand-linked is? Because that's something I've yeah, always... Yeah, I should. I should. Um, yeah. So if you look at like high street knitwear, um, you know, like cheaper knitwear uh, that's made in, uh, you know, like... Offshores. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it Basically what happens is they'll knit out like big pieces of knitted fabric and then cut it and then just overlock it. So just kind of sew it. Um, okay. huge amount of waste obviously involved with that because if you're cookie cutting a, a big piece of fabric then mm-hmm. the the loss of the, that fabric doesn't bother anyone because the yarn's so cheap anyway it's just you know it's fast fashion it's just hugely wasteful um but the way that we do it and the way a lot of traditional manufacturers do it is that it's fully fashioned so each piece is knitted and shaped on the knitting machine so it comes out as a shaped piece and then it's linked together on a linking machine so it's kind of a linking machine is a very specific kind of machine which is hard to explain but no sure it's the way you kind of connect the seams together right so that's how we make it. it's a very traditional way of making it there's huge benefits like it just looks a lot better it's a lot it, you know it's a lot nicer to kind of it yeah it's nicer and i mean when i got it it you yeah you can feel that yeah and look like it's it, that's i mean good. it's, like, it's like, a luxury <laughs> product no. yeah yeah i mean some people kind of just like oh i don't care but like, <laughs> you know, you're always gonna get this <laughs> i think because of alice's background as well we we're very kind of like uh, driven by craftsmanship and like the actual product and 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 you know the, the quality of the product that's the most almost the most important thing for us right um why is it there's the this kind of you know the fast fashion thing we were we were desperate to kind of and a, a lot of brands do this and i think it's great uh, like a lot of independent brands to distinguish us, uh, ourselves you need to have something that's that's different from what's on the high street but right. so it's the environmental impact of these things it's just like it's, it's appalling it's now on our minds you know it's sure. always been on our mind yeah so and also we're we're very like i mean knitwear manufacturing is kind of it's inherent in certain um cultures in the uk and that was that's that is still being kind of like it's dying that that because a lot of knitwear factories have closed down they're continuing to close down um why is that just because the the fast fashion yeah i mean people would rather make it you know somewhere else where wages are cheaper and, and the cost is lower um in the uk we have like a really high minimum wage i mean rightfully so because right the cost of living is super high yeah but um it's been decimated through you know chinese factories and uh, you know all the factories that have just sprung up in the, in the in the far east are much much you know a fraction of the price of what the uk factories can do right um so we kind of saw that we kind of saw that happening and uh we wanted to reverse that trend somehow and that's what we're still trying to do is try and uh, try and um 
take this old kind of way of making knitwear and this craftsmanship and and bring it up to date and make it relevant for today's market um because if you look at like a lot of british knitwear manufacturers and um you know i think i'm absolutely not like negging any british manufacturers but it's it's very heritage driven which there's certainly a place in that uh, Mm -hmm. uh, for that market but we're trying to do something that's a little bit different take that kind of traditional knitwear shape uh, but imbue it with something more modern more contemporary to kind of update it and uh, and just find a a new market for it basically yeah i mean i'll kind of go a little bit deeper i mean there's a few like you know other british knitwear manufacturers and more or less their the silhouette what they make is which is fine you know is has never really been is never changed you know there's not i mean like okay just to kind of pick on your guys like burrow knit type thing i mean it's like a patchwork knit that's not it's crazy i I mean (laughs) we'll, we'll we'll talk about that more later but it's just like yeah those those manufacturing places aren't really doing that they're doing the same yeah. shawl collar which is a beautiful piece mm-hmm. but it's like the same thing over and over again it, and it, it tends to be british wool which is quite difficult to wear a lot of the time i mean and there's a huge market for it in japan still yeah. you know and, and 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 they do very well off that but we just kind of saw this other gap in the market where people care about the provenance of their clothing and also you know we're kind of driven by making timeless pieces mm-hmm. um and we kind of look at what I mean, what makes something timeless? I mean, it's a very kind of subjective thing, but you look at kind of like modernist art and design, those kind of like primary colors and, and, and clean lines. Yeah. Um, like your, the color block knit thing that you have? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that of That thing's color. really sick. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there's a lot of color blocking going on. Um, and we kind of, we our fallback colors, these primary colors that we keep going back to that I just, will always feel fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at kind of like, we went to an exhibition when we first kind of started and we, we, we were kind of choosing our color palettes and it was uh Kazmir, Kazmir Malevich, who's okay. a Russian artist. Um, and he was like, he was doing his thing in the 1900s and it was like, man, this is crazy because it looks like it could have been painted yesterday. It's, you know, super like probably modernist kind of, it's called, I think his style of painting is super parameters and it's, it, it's, you know, it's very kind of um, primary color in, in, in kind of geometric shapes. Mm. And yeah, that kind of inspired us to make a modernist knitwear collection. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in a weird way, something that's like over a hundred years old. Is yeah. Inspiring you in a, from a modern viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, because I think because it's had that time and even 120 years later, it's like, oh yeah, that still holds up and that still looks super fresh now. Yeah. So that that works that no i agree and uh yeah that's where we get our kind of design inspiration from um but going back to kind of the 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 craftsmanship that that was always our main emphasis is to kind of bring this this craftsmanship into the 21st century almost right by using softer yarn so we used like quite soft lambs wool instead of a british wool wait so yeah because i did notice that like because it felt you know and i'm not even purposely playing dumb like it, it it didn't feel like as crunchy you know, I mean, it was like kind of like, what, where's your guys? I mean, you don't have to reveal trade secrets here, but like, where's um, your wool from? Our wool is from a UK-based spinner. Okay, we're kind of transitioning a little bit, but that that lamb's wool specifically is an Australian lamb's wool. Gotcha. Um, if you, I mean, we, we can't get that kind of stuff in the UK because our climate's a lot harsher. Oh, okay. So sheep are super sensitive in in so many ways. Like if it, it was. I remember someone saying that if you had sheep 
in a place where and a plane flew over they wouldn't grow their wool that year or something because they would be scared have been so scared by that plane that they would therefore no longer grow their wool so it, <laughs> it's just ridiculous oh my god um so but yeah I, the, the wool at the moment is from australia but we're kind of looking to get into more like recycled yarns that's what we're doing for next season right um recycled cashmere yarns and things like that right so you two you and your partner get like knitting machines that you have what is this in your home so they, alice's first knitting machine that we were she worked on she it was, it's like a domestic knitting machine okay i don't know if you've ever seen a domestic knitting machine it, like one of the bigger ones that you see like people making harris tweet out of or something no uh, no it's quite small it's like uh it's quite small and they're they're not very good so you can be knitting a whole panel and it's take like a panel of knit mm-hmm. you can be knitting that for three hours and then it'll just drop off Oh, it's wow. really <laughs> so it's really laborious and quite like old school. Is it, is, knitting machines were very big in the fifties. Okay, like people would have them in their houses. Yeah, so it's all like you, it's, it's all kind of like white plastic and oh, okay, it's quite yeah. It's not it's a funny looking thing, but um, she would yeah. So she would she would uh, develop this collection and and then so we had to find a manufacturer to begin to go back to the st- very start. Yeah, we had to find a manufacturer at that point and. Um, so we found a guy in Scotland and he used old fashioned knitting machines. So these are hand powered knitting machines. Okay. So that like, it's crazy that there's people out there still doing this, but they, they are. And it's, um, it's incredibly time consuming. Um, and you can, I mean, a guy can probably do like six or seven a day. Okay. Maybe. So six or seven, like sw- six or seven garments. Okay. Just the knitting. And then you have to link it and linking takes maybe like an hour a garment. Jeez. So it's not very scalable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and you guys are like, okay, this seems like a good idea. At the time. <laughs> yes, we did. So uh, we so we kind of developed this collection. We got this guy on board to do our manufacturing. We had it all kind of set up. Um, and we set up a website. And we had kind of, a few sales were kind of trickling through, but nothing big. Because we, we had no money. We had absolutely no money. Wait, how are people finding you? If you said, you said a few sales are trickling through. Honestly, don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so wait, you're not like, so, like there was an Instagram account with a couple hundred followers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, that's it. But wow. it was very kind of. I mean, I I I had created the website just on like a you know a template. Sure. Um, it was all very DIY. Um, and then so we kind of, but it was constantly like pushing the envelope, and 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 I you know I was going it's like the, <laughs> I was contacting ridiculous stores with our eight piece collection, going like, oh, do you want to stock? country of origin actually even at that time the, the company wasn't called country of origin the brand wasn't called country of origin it was called bright and sweater collective which i cringe at that name it's terrible yeah, it's fine and uh you're i mean you got a new name now so yes uh i, I remember being a f- I, I called up like, i think a cold called um oi polloi which is quite like a yeah oh i'm very familiar with them yeah and i called, called them i was like i've got this um brand called bright and sweater collective and steve the guy he's 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 very mancunian He's okay. not, like, I'm Mancunian light. He's, he's like Mancunian proper. Okay. And he was like, that name's shit, mate. <laughs> so, right. Okay. Uh, so, so you're not going to buy it? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and we didn't know how to wholesale. Like we didn't have prices set up for wholesale. You know, we didn't know the first thing about it, but I kept kind of, <laughs> but yet you're still doing this. Well, I'm do- yeah, I mean, it's a few years later now. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm saying like you were you were doing this like you don't know how to do it, but you're still saying like, well, that's fine. I'll just call these people. Yeah, I think it was just blind. 
I don't know. I would, I w- yeah. It, it, when you're young, you do strange things. No, it's, I mean, it's great. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, we kept pushing the envelope. And then we actually managed to get, within like the first couple of months of building the website, we'd managed to get two stores stocking Country of Origin, well, Bright Sweat Collective at the time. And we were like, oh, wow. We're, yeah. This is it. We're, we're going to hit the big time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, obviously, it's, it takes longer than that. But uh, yeah, this was kind of like that, that, that first autumn winter. And we managed to kind of just get, th- we, we cold calling, getting things in stores. And, and we managed to, yeah, we, I think we got like three, three stores in our first kind of season. We'd not been to a trade show or anything. And wow. didn't even know what a trade show we, we would do or, you know, didn't know how anything worked, basically. Right. Um, so that January after that, set of events where we got we got a few stores uh we went to capsule in paris yeah remember cat r.i.p yeah that's that's <laughs> um, true that's right they are no they are no more they are no more um so you so you finally go to a trade show we go to a trade show cost us three thousand pounds for a, for a rail for one rail oh heavens and three thousand pounds to us was outrageous like the you know just i would argue to many people or i would i would imagine that many people feel that yeah that much is outrageous oh i mean yeah per, for a personal spend absolutely but for like a business marketing spend possibly not but it's at a time the business was you know our personal finances so yeah, yeah. it's a huge amount and we take we took out a startup loan to actually get everything going so the government uh at the time i don't know if it's still going but you could get a startup loan and they were basically giving them out to anyone because they gave one to us. Well, <laughs> and then we didn't really have a business plan or really have any expertise. Um, it, you say that, but it sounds like you knew a little bit more than what you were leading on. And I'm not saying, you know, you're, you're withholding anything, but I think you were a little bit more prepared because it's like, okay, but you still know to call someone to try to get accounts. Like, you know that, okay, like our current idea of manufacturing isn't working. We need to improve this. I mean, that's coming from somewhere, right? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I see it from a different place now because, you know, you, 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 as, as one does uh, yeah. in retrospect. But, uh, yeah, so we went to Capsule in Paris. We were on the top floor. We were right at the back with all the new brands that sort of, you know. Sure. The, it's, I mean, trade shows are difficult as it is, but if you've got one rail... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at the back of a trade show, on the top floor, when all the established cool brands are on the bottom floor, it's it's yeah, it's, it's tough. But um, yeah, we so we had this rail, and we, I think we had maybe twelve styles. Maybe. Okay, that's quite a bit. No, no, it's it's not. You you don't think so? When we had like twelve pieces, yeah, I think that's great. Oh, I, I mean, you think, well, yeah. but to compared to other companies that start out and they only are a single like single skew. And they're sure. just like, yeah, this is, we're doing this. You know I mean? You had a collection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably down to the fact that kind of like we had quite a unique way of doing it without us kind of yeah. actually manufacturing the prototypes in our tiny flat. But um, we had no money. We stayed in an Airbnb and me and Alice were in bunk beds. And they were <laughs> tiny. There's like, they weren't, they were like kids bunk beds in this tiny, tiny, yeah, I mean, you know what like Paris apartments are yes. like. It was absolutely minute. And we, we didn't eat out. We got like bread and cheese from the supermarket and some cheap wine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is actually great. I still do that now. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, also, it was massive pressure for us to go to this trade show. It's 3,000 pounds. Like, oh, we've got, to, we've got to do something here. We've really got to, yeah. we've really got to make some, some money or we're really dead in the water with this. And at the time, it just felt like do or die. It was yeah. like, right. 
so yeah we, we the first day kind of happened at capsule and not a lot you know got like a few people coming around and then this big kind of group of japanese guys came around um and if anyone goes like a fashion trade shows the 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 japanese buyers they kind of they the have, beams boys they weren't beams boys they uh it was our it was our first distributor i don't actually know what happened to them in the end but anyway, anyway <laughs> this is another story. No, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, they, they they travel in big groups. These Japanese buyers, right? And yeah, you kind of see them. Um, and we we always kind of had our sights on Japan because we knew British knitwear was very big out there, and mm-hmm. they're, they're real connoisseurs of product. And we kind of thought, okay, this might not work in in Europe right now because we're not a brand, and, right? And in the West, it feels more kind of brand led rather than just like putting out a product and, and but japan will really kind of just like see a product and be like yeah that'll work mm-hmm. so these japanese guys came around and put in an order and it was not a huge order but it was massive for us yeah uh, i think maybe like 200 pieces that's great so we thought okay great and that's all we i think that's all we got from that trade show <laughs> but we were like this is yeah again every kind of when you start up a business i think you any sign that you can glean that it's working, you right. take it so, you big it up to be so much more than what it is. <laughs> you look back and go like, yeah, it was just, <laughs> just a small order. But back then it was like, oh my God. Well, I mean, that's, We're I would say, millionaires. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's global exposure, first off. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was Japan and it felt, you know, I'd never, we'd never been to Japan at the time and we were like, you know, because you guys are pretty big in Japan. I mean, I would say right now, I mean, especially, you know, you search your stuff or see things on Instagram or whatever. It's, it's there. You got a, you got a following in Japan. Yeah, we, it, we've, we, we have, I mean, and it, it has sustained us. I think it really has sustained us in terms of giving us the time to be able to then build the brand in different, in different places like Europe. Um, yeah. That does take a bit longer. So if we hadn't have had Japan then you know, we, probably wouldn't be sat here today can i flex for just one minute in the past month i have learned to make better eggs become a better freelancer edit photos better become a better writer and train for a half marathon how might you ask i've been using skillshare.com Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes for creators entrepreneurs and curious people everywhere In addition to the classes I've been taking, you can take classes in photography, audio production, web development, even interior design. You name it, they've got it. And think you don't have the willpower or won't even finish something on your own? Skillshare recently launched workshops. You learn with other like-minded students and can even exchange feedback to improve your work. It's fantastic because you can follow a set calendar and receive prompts to help you stay on track. If that's not your vibe, you can start one at your own pace and do your thing. So whether you're picking up a new skill for your day job, starting your podcast, or pursuing a long-time passion, Skillshare has classes for you. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer for Blamo listeners. Get two free months when you sign up at Skillshare.com forward slash Blamo. That's two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes. Sign up by going to Skillshare.com forward slash Blamo and start improving your life, business, or hobby. Again, that's Skillshare.com forward slash Blamo to start your two free months now. Isn't it interesting that, and I find this, it feels like this is 
something that's pretty often that a lot of times a local brand local companies yeah. the same in the states you almost have to achieve success outside of your home yeah in order for you to be validated in your home it's so true yeah <laughs> we're i mean we to this day like our best performing markets are always overseas yeah i mean we do very well in italy and japan um and you know we've had some quite big wins in the u.s like with the bergdorf goodman collaboration yeah and we we still really struggle in the UK to kind of uh, you know gain that traction. Hopefully that'll change soon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I, I think it, I, you know it's just about kind of building the brand a little bit further. But yeah, that is that is definitely true. You kind of have to look overseas first, which is ridiculous in many senses. Yeah, I mean it's it's like that. You're not alone. It's like that in music. It's like that in a lot of yeah, things. Of course, of course. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, but I, I I mean I understand it as well because I think you know. A customer in the UK, for instance, we we very much value like Japanese brands. Yeah, Japanese brands are super cool, and you know, the, there's so many really interesting niche Japanese brands, and there's probably the same perception in Japan. They're like, oh, there's so many great brands in the UK, and you yeah, know, it's just it's just it just that's just how it works. I think. Yeah, the grass is always greener on the other it side, is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but actually, Japanese brands are really cool. <laughs> There's so I, many good ones. I would be inclined to agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, when when does the Bergdorf collaboration come? Like, because I know that I I would say that I probably and a lot of other people maybe first saw some of your stuff with the Bergdorf with with with, with yeah with, with collab yeah with the collab and then also you know just Bruce was big champion of what you guys were wearing yeah Bruce he, Pask he yeah. Um, Bruce Bass, the men's fashion director at Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah, um, and Neiman Marcus, he would definitely add. Add Neiman Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. Um, and so the story is that, so after that capsule trade show, we got these Japanese orders. So we kind of, we, we get them made with the Scottish manufacturer, this hand frame guy mm -hmm. at that time. Um, and we kind of stumble through that year, kind of, you know, picking up a few stores here and there. Yeah. And then um, we kind of get a bit more money in uh, and we decide we, we've moved to London by this point. Um, okay, yeah, because you're still living in Brighton. Yeah, we're living in Brighton at that point. So we moved okay. to London because we were like, we need to be in London, even though Brighton's about 50 minutes on the train away. Okay, sure, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you seem like you're reconsidering that now. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I mean, well... London's a very different vibe to Brighton. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, with the Scottish manufacturer, obviously like his, he could only do so much, ever do so much. Yeah. Um, so the next winter comes round um, and we do another two trade shows. We do Pity. Oh, okay. And That's a very, very big trade show. It's a very big trade show. It's, yeah. it's a really fun trade show. I like it's yeah, I mean, proper Pizza Uomo is probably it. one of the biggest ones ever. Yeah, it's almost like a group of trade shows. Yeah. It's a town yeah. of trade shows. It's crazy. But um, yeah, we did that. And that's when we first met Bruce. So that season after. So um, Bruce came around and I didn't know who Bruce was, embarrassingly. That's fine. Um, I'm sure that a lot of those people would prefer that anyway. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, and he came around um, with one of his European colleagues. And he was like, oh, I love this. Um, this is the best thing I've seen all season. And um, I was like, oh, that's very kind. And he's like, I'm the men's fashion director. Well, I don't think he said I'm the men's fashion director, but he, I think he probably gave me his card. 
Um, and I was like, <laughs> you're like, flex. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, and he's, he's kind of like worn our stuff ever since, but has, I d- he's obviously never really had the opportunity up until very recently to kind of house us in Bergdorf Goodman because he's got this... The new, B-Shop. The B-Shop, which is a new concept store that's kind of his brainchild. And yeah. um, it's, it's pretty much like Bruce's wardrobe. Yeah, I mean, I, that's I, from what I understand, that's definitely the vibe. It's yeah, like maybe he disagree with that. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, but it's it's curated by Bruce. And it's, it's very all much his, his favorite style. stuff. And, yeah. yeah, and 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 he's got like a bunch of really interesting collabs with um with with various brands like Engineered Garments and yeah and Margaret Howell and brands like that. Um. So yeah, and we decided to do this collab, and he we work quite closely with him on that. Um just like the kind of past year gone really well um, what's i want to talk about the burrow sweater real quick because mm. for me look i would say obviously you're not you're not a, a single product brand but for me when i first discovered you that was the thing that like i didn't really get like how do you make something like that with all these different colors but it also it looks like patchwork but it's not patchwork like it, it you don't see these seams where it was like oh it was pieced together here yeah it's not pieced together um it's knit, it's actually knit, it's it's knitted in a uh, it's called intarsia knitting yeah um i won't bore you with how that works um mostly because i'm not entirely sure <laughs> <laughs> just fine. just i know that it takes like 2 hours per panel to knit are you kidding which is crazy so a normal sweater, you knit, you knit front, back, two sleeves and a neck, and yeah. then you piece it together on a linking machine. You do the same with a cable knit patchwork, obviously. But um, with a plain sweater, it, the whole thing takes about 40 minutes to knit. Okay. But the patchwork takes like two hours right. per panel to knit. And how many panels are on that sweater? Well, just the, uh, sorry, it's two sleeves. Oh, okay. Front and back and a neck. Okay. So it's exactly the same, but it's just intarsia. So it just takes absolutely forever on the machine because you're kind of bringing in, you're bringing in different feeders and different d- different yarns. So it, for every row of knitting, you're doing like maybe five rows because it's very difficult to explain. But in every 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 row of knit, you've yeah. got maybe a different color in, maybe three different colors in that in that knit. So that's going to take three times. For the carriage to to go over the knit, jeez. So it's just the first time we did it. Um, they basically, because this is with our now partners who were the, our factory partners. Yeah, they basically just said, "No, I'm not. We're not doing it." Really? Yeah, they were just like, "I'm just not interested in doing it." Because also, if you don't get it right, it can kind of break halfway through, and then you've lost an hour, and then you've wasted all that yarn as well, and it's quite it's expensive yarn. Yeah. Um, so it's it's yeah it's expensive but we don't actually we have pretty much zero percent waste on that now so wait, what let's jump back what inspired that or i guess what what did it take for them to do it because they originally you said they wouldn't oh just good old pressure <laughs> <laughs> really and just so- saying look come on i mean uh, anybody that has dealt with factories like their first answer is always no. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, nah. Because they want an easy life, which I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you don't want to be also responsible for, you know, screwing up yeah. these new designers' work. Well, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, we figured out, I think I think they, they, they refined it. We've got a very skilled kind of technician who, who, who refines the kind of process. Uh, right. So 
the main thing they were worried about is kind of wasting panels. Um, right. But we we don't we don't have any waste with it. So yeah, that's good. But it just takes longer. A hell yeah, a lot longer. So so where are you at now? Because obviously, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, you guys, you have you know you have a big following in Asia. You know, you have your own collection. You have all these pieces. I mean, and we were talking about winter. I mean, do you, are you doing stuff for summer? Is there do you consider yourself like a single season brand? I mean, what, what is that? Uh, no, we don't. And, um, we, we, we're developing quite a big, big spring summer collection. Um, that's kind of, that, that will be, it'll be launched for spring summer. Oh God, I don't even know how far in advance we're working now. 2020 is next year, isn't it? So it'll be spring summer 2021 by the time we actually oh, okay. launch it in stores. But yes, that's, that's kind of our big priority going forward. Like much lighter weight knits because so it, when we were working in the railway arch. Yeah. This is the, your, your second sort of, this is when you guys have the two industrial machines. Yeah. So we had two, two industrial machines. And we'd grown quite a lot by that point. So we went to Pitti and we went to Paris that year. And I went to New York as well, actually. Oh, geez. Um, Good you on the road, man. I know. And it's it's mental because you've got, I mean, as many people probably know as they listen to this podcast, um, that you've got Pitti on like the 8th of January. And then you've got a bit of a break and you go to Paris on the 14th. Yeah. And then straight after Paris, like literally the next day, it's New York. So you have to get like a red eye flight. And then you be there the next day in New York to set up. Yeah. And I was doing this all on my my own just me because Alice at the time was had a job to keep supporting us at this point. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it was crazy. But anyway, so we, that was this, that was the first season that we were like, okay, this is really working. So we had, um, we had like a lot of Japanese, but we had like beams come in. Yeah. They bought like a thousand pieces, um, straight off the bat. Never, never met them before. Jeez. They just filled in the order form. And we're, so we had the tricolor sweater. Yeah. So it's like... That thing's money. Different colors on the... On the yeah, one color on one sleeve, one color on the other. And uh, that style, I literally knitted out the night before the trade show. And I was like... You knitted it? Yeah, yeah. So this is when we first had... So... Oh, right. Okay. Going back, we, we left the Scottish manufacturer. Yeah. So this is all very higgledy-piggledy. There's not much... Cr- Don't worry. <laughs> uh we left the we left the scottish manufacturer because he couldn't he couldn't fulfill the the capacity that we were doing yeah um so we decided we can't find another factory that will do what we want to do in the uk and our whole brand is based on the fact that we're in the uk so what are we going to do so yeah we decided to hire a railway arch in south london uh what's a railway arch because i i I think some people aren't familiar with that so it's like so in london there's lots of under railway tracks there's arches mm-hmm. and people have uh redone them as workshops or offices oh, okay it's kind of cheapish space it's not cheap though it's very it's very <laughs> very not cheap but um yeah so we had like a, a so and there's like trains thundering above the oh heavens okay it's quite it's quite atmospheric yeah um and it, yeah so we, we so we so we got these we got one machine to begin with okay and we didn't have a new sample collection. Um, and it was like the machine was dropped off a month before the trade show, the first trade show. So maybe December the 10th, this knitting machine was basically dropped on my doorstep. Oh, jeez. We'd spent a lot of money on it. And we're like, yeah, this is the way to go forward. Again, complete naivety of how much effort goes into actually manufacturing yeah. on, on mass. Um, 
and I didn't really know how to work this knitting machine and Alice was still at this other job and Alice wouldn't know how to work this knitting machine either because it's a, comu- a new computerized machine. Okay. So you still got the hand linking and all that, but to actually knit the stuff out, this thing's like a, like a proper, <laughs> you need a degree to, to yeah. operate it. And I just stupidly thought, oh, I'll be able to do it. That'll be all right. <laughs> so yeah, we get this machine. It gets dumped at 10th of December. I've got three trade shows. We spent like however much money on three trade shows and all my travel included. Right. Uh, you know, spent a fortune on that. We've got this big elephant in the room that's a knitting machine that we need to monetize. Literally. Yeah. yeah. And um, and no sample collection like two weeks before Christmas. And oh, we needed wow. three sample collections because we, at that point, we'd managed to sign with like a few agents in France, uh, no, in the UK and Japan. Okay. So we needed three sample sets. And we had a knitting machine and two linking machines. And I had, I'd, I'd found someone uh, through a friend of a friend that was, that had a vague understanding of what linking was. Wow. So, and that was our position on the 10th of December. Or, or that there or thereabouts. So it was on you more or less to make these samples and yeah. figure out this machine. And this machine breaks down a lot. It's not like a machine. You can, it's not a printer. Yeah. It's dealing with live material. And you, you need to know there's so many different things that you can tweak one tiny thing and then it throws the whole thing off. Right. So it's like, so I basically spend 24 hours a day trying to figure this thing out. Um, making your entire sample, making entire three sample, sample collections. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like 120 pieces in total. Jeez. And actually developing some stuff at that point as well. Like actually trying to make computer programs with someone else to feed well, into the machine. To kind of like talk about something specific there, there's, it sounds like a lot of times you get these things thrown at you and you're just like, well, I guess I'll just do it. I mean, wh- where do you think that comes from? Because in it's some cases, I think. no, in some <laughs> cases people would throw their arms up and just say, I can't do it. In other cases, you know, I mean, people would give up or, you know, basically buy their way out. And it sounds like in you, in your case, you force yourself to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point, I mean, I always just kind of felt like our backs were against the wall. So we just had to make it work. And I think, you know, there's always solutions for everything. You just have to kind of figure them out. Um, and that's always, a, I mean, even with that knitting machine, we got the knitting machine in and they were like, um, you know, this is a three phase power machine, right? And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it means. He was, I was like, like, you can't just plug this into the wall. I was like, why not? <laughs> oh, you need like You some need sort industrial of... three-phase power to do it. I still don't really understand what three-phase power is. I'm not going to explain it, but... Sure. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's... But it's something that even like you call up an electrician and you go, can you do three-phase power? I like, no, mate, I don't touch that. No one seems to know what anything about it, it to this day. It's ridiculous. So anyway, we managed by hook or crook to get this three-phase power. It's just like another one. Like, yeah, it's just a complete shit show at the time. Basically, you're just willing things into existence. Yeah, right? effectively. Um, so, but we managed to get this collection together, and then we go to Paris, and that's where we get this massive beams order. And I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And then we get a bunch more orders, and it's like, okay, this is actually, thank God, this is actually working, and we we this knitting machine is. We're going to put it to use. Yeah. But then actually, like you've done all that work at sales, but then you have to actually go home and knit the sweaters. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's, you know, if it, it takes you what, how long to make, you know, 30, you could, 30 we, pieces or 120 pieces. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and gives you an order for a thousand. Exactly. It's um, a lot of work. Yeah. So I think we maybe did, uh, we possibly did like 
3,000 units that season. Okay. Which is big for, for us. Yeah. Well, it was big for us, you know, and it's, I mean, it's still a big number. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so we just had to figure it out. I mean, I was working 14 hours a day, Monday to Sunday, yeah, every day. Jeez. Literally every day. And like, oh my God, the amount of issues that we we had. But we we made it work. Yeah. So we did that for actually two years. Two years straight. Two years straight. Basically just working around the clock all the time. Um, and how many employees do you have at the time? We had like four or five. At, 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 there's like peak season in the summer when we were trying to get stuff out. Sure. Like five people. Okay. But I was doing, you know, I was figuring out how to fix these industrial machines when they broke down. It's not even the knitting machines, the linking machines break down too. Yeah. And they're incredibly complex machines. And then you've got like a steam, an industrial steam bed that breaks down. You've got the whole washing plant because knitwear has to be like milled and washed and, and, and tumbled. Right, it's right. Very, like, it's possibly the most technical part of knitwear is the washing and the finishing because that's how you get the, the, the softness. Right. So you have to develop programs you, like an industrial washing machine that costs a fortune. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I mean, I knew a bit of it, but I didn't know to the extent of like, okay, we're going to have to spend a load more money on a washing machine. Yeah. And a steam. Well, I knew we had to get a steamer, but it was all just like things that... It oh, jeez. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a hard time. <laughs> yeah. So, we, so that's why we've been around for a long time, but like a lot of people still don't really know who we are because we've never had time to do any branding or, well, not branding, but like marketing, like putting ourselves out there because we've just yeah. been on a knitting machine in a railway arch in South London for the past three years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so last season we were getting to like, we, we bought another machine. So we bought two knitting machines. So there you we, go. We now had two knitting machines. In this tiny space, it was like 300 square foot. These knitting machines are like huge. Yeah. Um, so we bought another knitting machine and then, like a guardian angel this guy gets in touch and he's this old guy called Syed but he calls himself Sid okay and he gets in touch and says um, I'm opening a new I'm opening a new factory yeah um, well I'm thinking about opening a new factory like a high end knitwear factory and basically he'd had a factory for many years and it closed down when a British uh, a British, a big British store whose name I won't mention, put, basically pulled out and put everything. Sure, offshore. Lost all his production money and all that. Lost, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't didn't he? I mean, he was going to retire anyway. I think around that time, so it, like, it wasn't it, he wasn't forced to make. I mean, he could have gone on, but I think he just thought, let's just leave it there. Yeah. And then, like two years go by after Sid retires, and it's his partner as well, Keith. So Sid and Keith ran this factory. Mm-hmm. Two years go by, they've retired, and they're like sick. They they're just sick to death of being retired. They're just like, we need to get back to work. They're like old school guys that are just like, oh, that like, yeah, yeah. They're proper industrious, right? You know, um, and yeah. So the they contacted us through the knitwear, uh, sorry, through, through the knit, knitting machine company because we, we buy our machines from the same place. Right. And the guy who owned the knitting machine company kind of said, I'll get in touch with Ben because he, I think he, he's, yeah. he needs to not. He needs to stop calling me every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, there's that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so um, they said, we're going to start, we were thinking about starting up this knit, knitting factory. And we were like, okay very wary of the fact that you know we'd done a bit of dealings with factories before and it's never worked out right but these guys are such 
he he wouldn't like me saying actually because he said to lower the accumulated years that they both worked in knitwear but i think it's something like 90 years they've both accumulated wow <laughs> he's like no change it to 70 so people don't think we're too old <laughs> i mean they're only in their early 60s but yeah. they're like they know knitwear right. um a lot more than you know we do to be right. honest to be brutally you know um so they they've come they've come on the, and they basically opened up the country of origin factory and we work completely in partnership with them they're basically our business partners oh uh, wow and that they, they they knit exclusively for for us and we have you know I'm, I'm up there maybe two two three times a week um developing the new stuff and and uh, uh, and moving forward so it it's an r- amazing partnership to have yeah i mean it's like i am no longer slaving away at a knitting machine yeah. Um, so wait, how are you spending all this time that you have now? Uh, just on the beach. It's <laughs> <laughs> just going on all the day, all the time. Yeah. No, uh, you know, we're spending a lot of time doing the kind of marketing and, and having time to, you know, do things like this. Yeah. And and, and do the Bergdorf collaboration. We just right. wouldn't have time to do that before. Um, and, and, and we're focused on, on, on things that actually really matter to us. So the factory from next month will be completely plastic free so obviously a lot of factories are huge polluters of the environment uh, and one of the biggest issues is the single-use poly bags that clothes are in oh and everything is put in that yeah um so the past couple of months we've developed a paper that's like water well, splash proof right and grease proof um that we'll use instead of the poly bags they're recyclable and they're they're biodegradable and they're from like renewable wood sources so um it's it's, we're focusing on things like that i mean this is like the third or fourth time that you've mentioned the sustainability type of stuff i mean how obviously you know you had said how important it was to you but is you know from being a company that makes stuff yeah you're always gonna you're always gonna have some kind of impact on the environment yeah, but I mean, it sounds like some of this, though, it's it's influencing other brands to, to think about this stuff and to take it seriously. Not not just, I mean, you know, because in a way, like what you're doing is not only good for your business, but it's actually good for the, the whole industry. I think it's such an easy win for brands to, I mean, it's not, I mean, I know that like much bigger companies don't have the kind of uh, versatility to be able to change things as easily as we do because we're so much smaller. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a win in terms of it's a win for the environment, but it's also a win commercially because the the consumer preferences are changing and people are genuinely interested in this and 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 um, we see it as a huge opportunity. And not to be cynical about it, obviously, I mean, our first motivations was like, I just don't want to keep polluting the ocean with our single-use plastic bags. Right. Um, but also, actually, it's a really good commercial opportunity. Yeah. To show customers that actually you know this is our provenance and this is what we're trying to do and it's what we're trying to do with kind of like we're, we're, we're bringing in these recycled yarns so like recycled cashmere yarns um and trying to move from this kind of idea of a linear economy i think i read that ikea by 2040 are looking to be a completely circular economy business so that everything wow. is from recycled goods or renewable things so uh renewable materials so yeah it's i think it's the way the wind's blowing and, you know, I think it's the way the wind has to blow at this, <laughs> this moment in, in history. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of friends and, and other people whom they don't even 
really want to look, I mean, it's somewhat severe, but like they, they don't want to even entertain buying from a new brand or anything that where sustainability or being ecologically friendly mm. is a priority for them. Like if that's, if that's not something that's in their, in their ethos, like yeah. they're just like, you know what, you know, sorry. I think, yeah, I think I, you know, I, I get it because, um, I, I understand that bigger businesses, they've got huge, you know, is they're incredibly complex. It's not as easy as just making a decision and then implementing that change. It's, sure. It takes time. But with a small business or a new business, you can just, you, I think, you know, everyone, everyone should have the responsibility to embed that into their, into their ethos. Right. And we're kind of open with it. Like this, this paper bags that we're using, because they're, uh, they're also like tear resistant. Oh, okay. Um, and it's quite, they're quite unique, I think, you know, to the industry. I'm sure some people are using them somewhere, but it's the kind of, basically, it's a paper that you get a hot dog or a sandwich in, you know, that kind of greaseproof paper. Yeah, yeah. It's like a wax It's kind of like translucent. Yeah, like, yeah, but it's not waxed because then it's not recyclable. Right. So basically, it's just the way the paper's milled that all the fibers go in the same direction. So, oh. which makes it like smooth, silky smooth. And so it's kind of like not that horrible you know, rough paper. It's really kind of silky smooth, but it's also translucent. So you can see the garment inside, which factories need to be able to do to check that like the label on the front actually applies to the, right. the garment inside. Okay. That, that, so that was like the big thing for us. It's like, right, we want to do a bag that's not plastic, but how do we get something that's kind of clear or translucent? Right. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. a good option for us. But I, like we have a supplier for that now um, and we've developed like a custom size bag for garments. We, we're, we're happy to, you know, out, uh, open source that. Like, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to be kind of secretive about that. Like I'd, I'd rather brands just switch to it. It's yeah. slightly more expensive, but you know, I, th- I think in most cases, the, especially the younger and like customer, like they, they're willing to pay that. Yeah. You know, and especially more and more now there are people who are like, you know, I mean, I, like I was saying, like I have some friends now where they're, I was like, well, wait, you care about this? <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, You're usually very thoughtless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you didn't strike me as that. Okay, well, great. Um, well, this was awesome. Ben, dude, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. You've been listening to Blamo. We only have a few episodes left this season, and we want to hear from you. Get in touch with any thoughts or feedback you have for season seven. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Blamo is edited by Brendan Finn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The ratings help let others know we're doing something good. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. I say this all the time, but if you want to know more about what's going on in fashion, menswear, or meet other folks, you can join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. Send us an email saying, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. All right, we'll see you next week.